Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I am so excited that you both are here with us today so that you can share this really important information with us. And I'm really looking forward to learning about this project that you're collaborating on. So I want to jump right in. Could you each please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Yes, hi, my name's Aurora Lay and I'm the John G. Searle Assistant Professor of Environmental Health Sciences at the School of Public Health. I serve as core faculty for an industrial hygiene program and I'm an affiliate faculty member for the Center for Occupational Health and Safety Engineering or COSI, funded by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And I'm also a faculty affiliate for the Center for Southeast Asian Studies. I am Marie Ann Rosenberg. I'm an assistant professor at the School of Nursing, and I am also one of the core faculty at the U of M ERC program funded by NIOSH. Thank you. And could you each please share the area that your research focuses in? Yeah, so all of my research centers around occupational safety and health. One domain is infectious disease mitigation and management, worker training, and identifying gaps in worker training. Another area is occupational health disparities, focusing on overlooked worker populations, as well as assessing psychosocial factors of work. My doctorate was in health behavior, so I'm highly interested in the intersection between behavior, occupational health, and industrial hygiene. And my work uh, focuses on addressing occupational health disparities among at-risk low-wage service workers. I look at the biological, psychological, and behavioral responses to stress among these workers. Interestingly enough, a large number of low-wage service workers are women of racial and ethnic minorities and immigrants. So when looking at their stress exposure, I incorporate the intersectionality of these multiple identities of these minority individuals and um, the systemic factors within and outside of the workplace that drive their health and well-being. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to learning about the Michigan Healthy Nail Salon Cooperative, which is from what I from what I've read and researched before reaching out and asking you both to join us today is a group of professors, researchers, and students who have come together through research and advocacy to investigate and raise awareness of health and safety issues faced by nail salon owners and employees. So I was hoping that you could share a little bit about this project and explain the inspiration for this cooperative. Sure, MHNSC started in uh... 2016 as part of the Workplace Health Without Borders, and it was initiated by Dr. Edward Zellers, who um, was then the Director of the Industrial Hygiene Program at U of M. Um, I, Marie Ann, joined a year later to bring my expertise in community-based research and building connections in, uh, with minoritized workers in the community. And I also brought in my expertise in qualitative and mixed methods design um, to this initiative. So the work of MHNSC was inspired by the work that the California Healthy Nail Salon Group are working on, looking at their approach to research, education, and advocacy among the workers in that region in California. 
Uh, Dr. Zellers retired in 2020, and that's when Dr. Lay joined the faculty here at U of M. And um, what's powerful about this group, we're excited, is that we're both women of color who come from immigrant families. Um, I was born and raised from uh, another country other than the US, and many nail salon workers are immigrant women, particularly Asian and of childbearing age, who are exposed to a number of, of occupational hazards, especially uh, chronic chemical hazards, but also their health and safety um, are often overlooked due to their position within the society. We are both, Dr. Lee and I, passionate about addressing occupational health disparities and occupational justice. So can you provide some insight on the impacts of toxic chemicals on salon workers and the importance of being informed and educated about those hazards? Sure. Uh, so there's many chemical products, like thousands in the beauty industry, including nail products that are unregulated because partially there isn't enough oversight and many companies have secret or proprietary formulations that they don't want publicly released. So in recent years, there's been more public interest in what are the hazards of these chemicals, not only to protect the consumer naturally, but often the people who provide these services are overlooked um, because they are exposed to chemicals day in and day out, but people traditionally think of consumer protections first. Um, actually, this past week on HBO Max, not we're not paid by HBO Max, but they released a docu-series called Not So Pretty, where they talk about the toxic side of the trillion-dollar cosmetics industry. So one focuses on cosmetics, hair. There's a specific episode that focuses on nail services and nail products and features our collaborators of CA. Tennessee. Um, you know, for many people, specifically working in nail salons, many of whom are immigrants, and this is te this tends to be a pretty low barrier to entry position that can help them earn a living. So many nail salon workers get licensed through apprenticeships rather than having to spend thousands of dollars to go to cosmetology school, and it doesn't require a ton of English proficiency. So even for these nail salon workers who may be aware of some of the hazards, right, they usually don't have a choice or feel like they don't have a choice because this is the primary means to earn a living. So some of the example of some particularly hazardous chemicals and its impact, so some of the big ones are toluene, formaldehyde, dibutyl phthalates, um, these are called the toxic trio, and methyl methacrylate or MMA. So toluene, for example, is found in polishes and fingernail glue. It can cause headaches, dizziness, numbness, irritated eyes, damage to the liver and kidneys, and harm to fetuses in utero. And then some studies have found with toluene, increased levels in the blood are positively associated with thyroid cancer. Formaldehyde is a known human carcinogen. So these are also found in polishes and hardeners, and these can cause respiratory issues as well as irritation to the eyes and skin cancer later down the line. DVP is also found in polishes and can cause nausea, eye irritation, nose irritation, um, respiratory irritation, and in the long term, it can be 
result in respiratory issues as well. And MMA is found in artificial nail products. This has been banned in many states since the 1970s, but several recent studies in nail salons have still found MMA in products being used to this day, again, because how how little regulation there is on these products. And many times nail salon owners aren't even aware of what's in the product, right? They're just using what's popular on the market or what's you know cheap or what is popular with the supplier. So MMA can cause severe respiratory issues and then eventually like a loss of smell as well. So in, in traditional occupational health and safety, many of these exposures to chemicals are mitigated through something we call the hierarchy of controls, Elimination, for example, not purchasing toxic products, substitution, using less toxic products, engineering controls like ventilation, administrative controls like changing the way people work, and personal protective equipment like masks, gloves, and face shields. This may sound really straightforward, but the first obstacle is getting nail salon workers and owners to understand what hazards they even encounter on a regular basis and what the long-term impact is and how to protect themselves. So currently with our grant from the University of Michigan Graham Sustainability Institute, it's called um, Chemically and Environmentally Safe Nail Salons Empowering Workers Through Education. We've developed this free interactive smartphone friendly hour long training on chemical hazards in nail salons. Currently, it's in English and folks can get a certificate of completion in addition to either refreshing their knowledge or getting new knowledge. And our next step is to translate it to Vietnamese because most nail salon workers throughout the, uh, the United States are, are Vietnamese. Wow. Thank you so much for diving into that and sharing those very striking details um, of, of the chemicals that have been found. Can you walk us through the process of conducting this research? How did you collect that data and analyze it? Sure. Um, so we use several approaches to conduct research relating to MHMSC. First, a community-based participatory um, approach is extremely important given the characteristics of the workers we work with and the nature of their work. That means that we do not want to use a helicopter approach to just collect the data and move on. The most important thing for us is to build a connection and partnership with local owners and salon workers and really directly address their needs. We invite workers and owners to be part of a community advisory board with the goal that they will guide our steps and all the endeavors that we take since the focus is on them, their safe workplace environment, their well-being, and the sustainability of their businesses. We um, also conduct qualitative studies. There is such a powerful value in being able to capture workers' experiences through their own lens. We conduct focus groups and individual interviews. We also conduct a mixed method research study design. This approach really helps capture the objective, both objective and subjective exposures and outcomes among these workers. We use quantitative approaches, which allows us to focus heavily on assessment. We are able to identify the most important prominent hazards and determine the severity of their exposures. We also do walkthrough assessments and industrial hygiene focus surveys to assess the presence of hazards in the salons. Sounds like there's so much 
engagement involved um, from the salon workers and um, bringing them onto those advisories and everything. So um, that's it's a really great to hear. Thank you for sharing those details. Can you also share some of the findings from the research that you've conducted in Michigan? We conducted some focus groups with a few nail salon workers throughout the region, and we found a common thread for responses in terms of lack of standardized policies, regulations, and education and training. There is a disconnect between the education that they received and the training that they received and real world practice. There are also reports of inadequate knowledge on exposures and safety protocols, unsafe nail products, customer pressure, and immigrant-related pressures. Participants also reported experiencing symptoms specifically related to their workplace exposure due to contact with nail products, and also symptoms related to poor ergonomics. When asked about intervention needs, workers responded that they need continuing education, updated um, updates on the new products that are coming out on a regular basis. And it, it was important for them to have communication with key stakeholders and partnership building and resource access was also uh, identified as um, very important for the workers. Through the Freedom of Information Act, we sent a request to the Michigan Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs regarding Nelson workers in Michigan. We were interested in the numbers uh, of licensed cosmetologists and licensed cosmetology businesses from January 2017 to March 2021. Granted, we need to take COVID into consideration for this. We found that there, there were about 1,300 nail salons in the state of Michigan that exclu exclusively provided nail services and over 12,000 licensed manicurists. Over half of the disciplinary actions that were cited were for salons not officially licensed. And we also found that Michigan was more laxed in terms of licensure requirements compared to other states such as California. And also Michigan was lacking in terms of continuation education, continuing education requirements for licensing and renewals. Very interesting. Can you share a little bit about the resources that MHNSC provides salon workers and owners? Yeah, sure. So anytime we engage with the salon workers and owners, we try to be very explicit and upfront that we are there to support them and help promote their worker health and well-being. We're not associated with uh, Michigan Occupational Safety and Health Administration or MIOSHA in any way, and we're not there to get them fined or in trouble. Um, again, we really have to emphasize this because of previous like Marianne mentioned, like helicopter approaches with researchers where they come into these uh, communities, even worker communities that are marginalized, collect their research and then just leave without any follow-up. We, we are not, um, we don't try to do that at all. So there's also, you know, a historical mistrust of, you know, generally academic institutions or government institutions, particularly from this population stemming 
all the way from the Vietnam War. So that's something that we try to be cognizant of. And some of the resources that we try to provide the workers and the owners are educational materials. So MHNSC has developed a number of pamphlets, both in English and Vietnamese on various topics like bloodborne pathogens, fungi, chemical exposures, and um, the educational resources includes our online training through the Graham Sustainability um, Institute that we just mentioned. Recently, we've tried to bolster our social media presence. Uh, so find us on Facebook at Michigan Healthy Nail Salon Cooperative and on Twitter and Instagram at MI Healthy Salons. We also have a brand new website now um, that's linked on all our social media platforms. So on there, we provide our recent publications, also relevant publications on nail salons from other research researchers, our media, um, a little bit about our team and some other resources for nail salon workers. Um, we also did a salon safety series, which is infographics on key nail salon health facts and things of that nature, just because these short infographics are, are more easily digestible by our target population. Um, we also provide consultation and walkthrough of salons to suggest better hierarchy of controls and ways to improve worker health. We provide personal protective equipment. And we also let nail salons know that we're willing to partner with them to assist in writing like small business grants or any grants that they might be interested so they can get the resources they need to operate safely and healthily. We will link to the social media handles and to the website in our show notes and in our article as well, so everyone can watch for those. And Dr. Rosenberg mentioned a little bit about the engagement efforts a little bit ago. So Dr. Lay, can you elaborate on how you engage with salon workers to share all of this information and these resources? And also who else needs to know about this research and know that it exists and that these resources are available? Yes, um, so for the workers, as we mentioned, we try to engage through social media and associated groups working with the nail salon community. However, we found the best approach for them is to really go and talk to these owners in person, put a name to the face, but it also adds that human approach and that human touch. Um, and it also is, is a great part of, again, building this community-based participatory research. Ideally, we would love everyone uh, to know about this research and these resources. There's a good chance that everyone knows someone who gets their nails done. And it's become like a huge part of our beauty culture, especially now that a lot of celebrities are all about getting their nails done and nail art. Um, however, again, the workers that provide these services are often invisible and the hazards they face are, are unknown or overlooked. So I think it's extra important during the pandemic as this workforce is largely Asian American, we do wanna acknowledge that these beauty workers, both inside and outside of the workplace have been experiencing maybe increased microaggressions, racism and violence. So we wanna shine a light on this as well because it's not generally picked up by the general media, even though it's ongoing um, or focused on a ton in public health research. And we don't wanna say 
you know, tell people to stop getting their nails done. Absolutely not. Getting your nails done is such an important part of continuing to support this uh, my minoritized, marginalized community. But as a consumer uh, of these products or of these services, they also call this um, industry like intimate labor services because when you're there with your nail salon worker if you go get your nails done regularly you build relationships with these people you're in close contact with them they're literally holding your hand right so if you um, really are interested in this topic please continue to support your nail salons your local nail salons and the workers but as a consumer you have the power to say like hey let the owner know I'd be willing to pay Pay more for services if you were to offer some less toxic products or like, hey, have you thought about, you know, maybe getting this brand in the salon before? I've heard it's really great and, you know, isn't as hazardous or something like that. Just beginning to have these conversations. Um, I think it's also especially important for occupational health research and safety practitioners to recognize that this is a high-risk worker population. Traditionally, we focus on more of the hazardous you know, trades that are usually thought of like construction and mining and, and so on. But now there is, is more attention and hopefully will be more attention on these types of service workers. And we would love to see policymakers involved as well. California has been pushing through some safe cosmetics and safe beauty bill packages that would impact not only the state of California, but on a federal level. Um, so we would love to see some of the rest of the states, if not the nation, to follow suit on really pushing for transparency of ingredients um, and, and knowing what is in the products that we use every day that we are breathing in or being absorbed through our skin. Before we run out of time, I like to ask all of our experts who join Michigan Minds this question, which often is one of the more difficult questions I've, I've heard. Um, what is something that you hope everyone listening remembers and takes away from this conversation? I have multiple points here. Um, the first one is to really pay attention to the workers in the state of the salons when you go and get your manicures and pedicures done. Often when we go get some services done, right, we rarely pay attention to even the workers, right, especially if there's some, uh, you know, concerns or hesitancy relating to language. Um, so definitely it's important regardless of language barrier or anything else that's going on to treat the workers with respect. Um, do your best to understand the services that they are providing and try not to ask them to perform outside of their scope of practice, because that's one of the things that we've heard from the workers. For example, if somebody has fungus and they're, you know, they're being to operate as podiatrists, for example. If you are at, um, if you work at a salon and are listening to the to this podcast, uh, do reach out to us. We would like to connect with you, and you can reach us through our uh, social media platforms as well as our website, as Dr. Lee mentioned. And one of our goals is to actually partner with local cosmetology schools that are training salon workers so that they can share some of the important information that we have been fortunate enough to gather and some of the training materials that we have developed. So for example, 
the mobile friendly training on chemical exposure and safety that was supported by Emily and the Graham Sustainability Institute could be easily adopted into one of those curriculums for those cosmetology schools. So why reinvent the wheel, right? You already have this well-packaged training here incorporated into your curriculum. So if you are a cosmetology school uh, you know, principal or a faculty member, do know that we do have this resource available for you. And lastly, I also want to emphasize that MHNSC operates on three pillars. I'm not sure if that was clear throughout this talk here, education, advocacy, and research. So we have been talking about a lot about the advocacy and research aspect, but we also want to say that the education, the educational materials that we develop and the education that we want to include in the work that we're doing, not only focuses on the workers, but we also provide educational opportunities for U of M students, uh, either through the School of Public Health or Occupational Health and Environmental Health um, Nursing Program, who are interested in occupational health and safety, particularly the health and safety issues relating to nail salon work. Thank you. I'm so glad that you added that education component and provided so many really clear takeaways. Uh, there, you know, I, I wish that we could just talk more and more about this. It's so fascinating, but I've really appreciated all of the information and really diving into those research, the research that you've conducted and sharing all of these resources. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that either of you would like to share? No, other than, you know, thank you for having us, Erica. And for those of you listening, thank you for listening and engaging in this conversation in bringing attention to this very important workforce. Yes, and please do spread the word about MHNSC and our efforts. Feel free to reach out to us and follow us on social media. Thank you. Dr. Lay and Dr. Rosenberg, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to talk with me today. I greatly appreciate it. And I know that the Michigan Minds audience will really enjoy listening to this interview about the MHNSC. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.